Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. The word of God for the people of God. Just recently I was reading an article about a woman named Emily Howlett. Emily Howlett is an actress, and at the age of four years old, she started very gradually losing her healing, bit by her hearing, bit by bit, year after year as she got older, she lost more and more of her hearing until at the age of 21, she finally lost her her ability to hear altogether. And that put Emily Howlett in in a bit of an unusual situation. You see, she was, was completely deaf, but she hadn't been raised in the deaf community. She had been raised in the hearing world. And so she didn't speak sign language. She didn't have friends and relationships in the deaf community. And so at the age of 21, she had to, to start over. She had to learn how to navigate the world and live in the world as a deaf person. And so Emily Howlett threw herself into this project that was this, this new phase in her life. She started working hard to learn sign language and she started going out and meeting people in the deaf community and as she as she made her way into the deaf community Emily discovered something that was astonishing to her she discovered all of these all of these funny and interesting and smart people with their own culture and their own language she discovered that that there are films and movies that are made just for the deaf community and she started auditioning for roles and she started acting in these films 
films and movies that were made for the deaf community. And she started to, to find a sort of community that she was richer and deeper than anything she had ever experienced in her life before. As the months went by, Emily Howlett sort of noticed this, this remarkable transformation taking place. She started thinking of her hearing loss not as some sort of a curse or a punishment. She started thinking of it as, as a gift, as a blessing. She started thinking of her, her hearing loss as her ticket into a, a new kind of life, a new sort of community. She started seeing her deafness as a gift. Emily came to embrace her deafness. But then one day she went to a doctor's appointment. Emily went to an appointment with her audiologist, and she walked into the office, and the doctor asked her, well, Emily, how is it going? And so Emily started sharing with him all of the good news that she had to tell. She started telling him about all of the new friends that she had made, and she started telling him about all of the movies and films that she had been acting in, and she told him, my, my sign language is still rusty, but I'm working hard on, on learning it. She said, things are going great. I couldn't, couldn't be happier with where my life is right now, and she thought, Emily thought that the doctor would be excited. She thought that he would be happy for her, but the doctor, he listened, and then he frowned, and then he leaned forward, and he said, Emily, have you considered getting a cochlear implant? Now, a cochlear implant is a sort of a device that sends audio signals, sound signals, directly to the brain. It bypasses the ear. And so for some deaf people, the, the cochlear implant can be a way of restoring their hearing or even hearing sounds for the very first time. Emily had looked into a cochlear implant, and she had decided that it wasn't for her. She decided that she had a, a poor prognosis. It probably wouldn't help her hear very much, if at all. And she didn't want to go through the procedure because she had decided that she was going to embrace her deafness. She said, I am a deaf person now. I'm a part of the deaf community now. But the, the doctor, he wouldn't take no for an answer. When Emily said, no, I don't want a cochlear implant, the doctor started putting pressure on her. He said, listen, Emily, I'm worried that you're headed down a bad road. I'm worried that you're going to fall into the deaf community. I'm worried that one day you're going to look around and discover that you have left all of your hearing friends behind and the only friends, the only people in your life are other deaf people. And then the doctor started going out into the hallway and pulling in other doctors. And then together, all of those doctors ganged up on Emily and they started telling her that she was making a terrible mistake, that she was broken and that she needed to be fixed, that she didn't want to resign herself to a life in the deaf community. And then finally her doctor looked at her and he said, Emily, you can't, you can't let this decision be influenced by a bunch of deaf people. You have to make the right decision. You have to get this implant. And that's when Emily decided to stand up and walk out and find a new doctor. That's when Emily decided that she needed to get an audiologist who understood that not everybody wants to be healed and not everybody needs to be fixed. And this is a lesson that, that more of us probably need to learn. Not everybody needs to be healed. Not everybody wants to be fixed. Apparently, this is a lesson that many followers of Jesus have trouble learning. Not everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody needs to be fixed. You know, the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this sermon series, I've been 
reading, reading articles and listening to interviews and watching sermons that were preached by people with disabilities because I want to I do this topic justice. I want to use the language that people use when they talk about themselves. I want to, to accurately describe their experiences. And so as I've been doing my research the last few weeks, I've learned a lot of things about the lives of people with disabilities. And there's one thing in particular I learned that surprised me, one thing I didn't know. I was reading an article about a, a woman who has a visual impairment. And as this woman was talking about what her life is like, she said, you know, she said, the worst part for me, the hardest part of living with a visual impairment is not what you think it is. She said, for me, the worst part of, of living with a visual impairment is this thing that happens where people will walk up to you, complete strangers will walk up to you, and then suddenly they will place their hands on you and start praying for God to heal your broken body. She said sometimes people don't even introduce themselves. Sometimes people don't even ask permission in the supermarket, in the subway. People will just walk up to you and touch you and then start praying that God will fix you. They will start praying that God will heal you. And she said, I, I believe that these people have the best of intentions. I believe that they think what they're doing is helpful, she says, but people have no idea how disempowering that experience is. She said, I don't think of myself as, as a broken person, but in that moment, I am suddenly aware that someone has looked at me and all that they were able to see when they looked at me was someone with a broken body in need of fixing. And she said, in that moment, I am so aware that as a person with a disability, I don't even have control over who touches my body and when and where and how. She said, I wish that people would just knock it off. I wish they would understand what that experience is like for us. I didn't know this was a thing. Did you know that this was a thing? Did you know that people do this? I, I knew that pregnant women have to put up with this, right? I know that when you're, you're pregnant, people feel like they can just walk up to you and start rubbing your belly without even saying hello. And, and I know that my African-American friends tell me that they have to put up with people constantly reaching out and touching their hair because white people have this weird fascination with black people's hair. And, and I know that when I grew a beard, suddenly this strange thing happened where people would start reaching out to touch my face. There are some people who, when they see a beard, just have to just have to reach out and put their fingers in it. I, I knew all of these things, but I did not know that people with disabilities go through their days having people walk up to them, lay hands on them, and pray for their healing out of the blue. I didn't know that this was a thing. Why do you suppose people do this? Why do you think that some followers of Jesus feel like it's okay to just walk up and touch somebody and start praying for them without their permission? I suppose I suppose that the answer is right there in the question, right? When people do this, they think that they're, they're following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, we have this idea that this is what Jesus did in his ministry. We have this idea that Jesus just walked around randomly laying hands on people and healing their bodies. We have this idea that Jesus just ran from place to place healing people and working miracles willy-nilly. And so we believe that if we do that same thing, then we are honoring Jesus and we are following Jesus. But here is the thing. If we read the stories of Jesus carefully, if we read the stories of the miracles and healings of Jesus, closely, we'll discover that this is not what Jesus was doing at all. We'll discover that most of the time, Jesus doesn't even seem to be all that interested in fixing people's bodies. Most of the time, Jesus has a completely different set of priorities. He has a completely different mission in mind. 
If we ought to want to understand what, what Jesus' priorities were, why he worked those miracles, what Jesus thought his mission was, the best place for us to look is in this morning's gospel reading. In today's reading, we have what might be my favorite healing story in all of the Gospels of Jesus. Now, this story comes from a moment early in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has just started to get a bit of a reputation. Word is starting to trickle out about this man who works miracles and talks about God in a way that nobody else has ever talked about God. And so people are starting to walk from miles away to see Jesus when he passes through their area. And the story goes that there at that moment, in Jesus' ministry, there is a man who is completely paralyzed. This man is unable to, to move his arms, unable to move his legs. It seems like this man is even unable to speak. All that this man can do all day long is simply lie on his mat. But this man has got one thing going for him. He's got four friends. He's got four good and faithful friends who look after him and care for him. And these four friends, somehow they hear about Jesus. They hear about this wandering rabbi and they wonder, could it be, do you think that maybe Jesus could work a miracle of healing for our friend? They decide to go check Jesus out. And so they do this remarkable thing. They grab hold of the mat like it's a sort of a stretcher. And then they start carrying their friend to where Jesus is. We don't know how far they carry their friend they may have had to walk for miles and miles to get to the place where Jesus was and then they arrive at the place where Jesus is teaching Jesus is in a a house and the house is filled with people and the friends carrying the man on the mat they get to the door and they try to make their way inside they say excuse us our friend is is paralyzed and we'd like to see Jesus to see if Jesus can work a miracle but the people in the door they do that thing where you sort of turn around and say there's no room inside not for not for a guy on a mat you're going to have to you're going to have to wait out here But these four friends have not walked all of this way just to wait outside. They are going to get into this house. And so they start looking around and they notice a a ladder leaning against the side of the house. And so they come up with a plan. Somehow they haul this man on his mat up to the roof of the house and then they start banging and scraping at the ceiling of the house. You can imagine bits of dust and plaster raining down on the people in the living room with Jesus. You can imagine people shouting, knock it off. What are you doing up there? You're making a mess. Stop it. But the four friends, they don't stop. They make a hole. And then they claw at the hole and tear at the hole until the hole is big enough to lower their friend down. And then they lower their friend down and the people below have no choice but to take him on their hands and lower him and place him at the feet of Jesus. And now this man is lying on his mat at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, I want to make sure that all of us notice one thing about this story. Notice that there was room for this man on his mat after all. How often when we say to people, sorry, there is no room for you in here, how often when we say that, do we really mean, well, there probably is room and we can make room, but we just can't be bothered to move for you? How often do we choose to make there not be room inside the house with Jesus? The man now is lying on this mat at the feet of Jesus. And the people in the room, they look at this man lying on his mat. And then they look up at these four friends who are peeking down through the hole. And then as one, every eye turns to Jesus. All of the people in the house hold their breath to see what is Jesus going to do. And in that moment, Jesus looks down at the man on his mat and he he smiles and he stretches out a hand. And then Jesus says the last thing anybody expected Jesus to say in that moment. Jesus looks at this man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And suddenly the house is filled with chaos and confusion and anger. The people in the house say, what does he mean, son, your sins are forgiven? Doesn't this man know that only God has got the power to forgive sins and release people from their sins? And the friends on the roof, they're angry too. What does Jesus mean, son, your sins are forgiven? Do you think we hauled our friend all of these miles, carried him all this way so you could forgive his sins? We came here for a miracle, Jesus. We want our friend to get up and walk out of the house. We came for a healing, not forgiveness. In that moment, the house explodes. It erupts in anger and confusion. Everyone, everyone in the house and up there on the roof is angry with Jesus in that moment. Everyone is angry, except for the man who is lying on the mat. In that moment, the man on the mat turns his eyes towards Jesus and he smiles either on his face or in his heart because the man on the mat understands what nobody else understands. The man on the mat understands what a gift Jesus has just given. You see, back in those days... Back during the time of Jesus, people had this idea that if you had a disability, then that must mean that you had committed some kind of a terrible sin. People in those days believed that if you had a disability in your body, then that must mean that God was angry with you and God was punishing you. And so imagine this poor man lying on his mat day after day, unable to move, unable to speak. How many times must he have had to listen to some unsolicited sermon from a complete stranger who stopped by the mat just to tell him, listen, if you would just ask God's forgiveness, whatever it was you did, God will forgive you and then you can get up off your mat and walk. If you just ask God forgive you. I'm sure that God will forgive your sins. People in those days had this idea that disabilities were caused caused by the anger and the wrath of God. Jesus didn't believe this. Jesus didn't teach this. But the man on the mat through all of those unsolicited sermons, he came to believe this. He internalized the judgment and the condemnation that he heard from people day after day after day until this man came to carry within his heart a burden of shame and guilt and the fear of God. This man was convinced that God was angry with him. This man was convinced that God was punishing him. And what he wanted more even than he wanted to get up and take up his mat and walk, what this man wanted was to be free from that burden of guilt and shame and fear. He wanted to know that he was all right with God. And this is what Jesus sees when Jesus looks at the man on the mat. Jesus looks at the man on the mat and where everyone else says, sees a, a broken body that needs to be fixed, Jesus sees the deeper pain. He sees this burden that this man has been carrying around. And so Jesus, in that moment, stretches out a hand and speaks the only words that in that moment could truly set this man free. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, the man on the mat suddenly feels all of that guilt and shame and fear slip out of his heart. And, and he feels the peace of God wash over him. And he feels the love of God filling his heart for the first time in years. In that moment, the man on the mat is not healed. He receives a greater gift from Jesus. In that moment, the man on the mat is made well. And now the story goes on, of course, that, that Jesus does eventually end up healing this man. But as we read this, read this story, it, it almost seems as if the healing is a sort of an afterthought. It almost seems as if the healing, the physical healing that this man receives is, is completely beside the point. You get the impression that Jesus would be perfectly happy to let this man go now with peace in his heart and a smile in his soul, still unable to walk, still unable to talk, still unable to move. Jesus would be happy to send this man home. Why? Because 
because Jesus knows that this man already has a richness of love in his life that many people never experience. This man has got four good and faithful friends who love him enough to carry him for miles and miles on the off chance that some wandering rabbi might be able to work a miracle. How many people back then had four faithful friends who loved them in that way? How many, how many of us today have got four friends who love us that well? This man has already got a richness of of love and community in his life, and Jesus understands that now he is still on his mat, but he has been made well. And in that moment, Jesus understands something that we as his followers still to this day are struggling to understand, something that we are still struggling to hear from our brothers and sisters in, in the community of people with disabilities. Not everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody needs to be fixed. People with disabilities want all of the same things that anybody wants. They want the same things that you and I want. They want to experience the love of God. They want to encounter deep and authentic community. They want to share their gifts and make a difference in the world. They want to be made well, but they don't necessarily want to be healed. And they would love, they would love to be part of a church that understands the difference. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear the voices of our brothers and sisters with disabilities. God, help us to understand the difference between being healed and being made well. God, make us the kind of church where where people are made well. Make this a place where burdens of guilt and shame and fear slide off of people's hearts and your peace washes over people. Your love fills people. God, we pray that somewhere in this place this morning, you would set somebody free. In this room, there is someone who has been carrying a burden of guilt. There is someone who has been carrying a a burden of shame. There is someone who has been carrying a, a burden of fear because they believe that you are angry at them. They believe that they have made themselves unacceptable to you. God, we pray that you would stretch out a hand towards those people, that person, whoever that is. And speak to them in this moment. Whisper into their heart, your sins are forgiven. You are beloved and acceptable in my sight. God, we pray that you would lift off of our shoulders and remove from our backs this morning the burden of anger, the grudges that we carry, the pain that we nurse. God, set us free in this place this morning. God, make us well. In Jesus we pray, amen.